if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to uh, the book of Galatians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, you can find it about halfway through uh, your New Testament in your Bible. Uh, if you don't have it with you, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me. Before we get into that, just a couple of uh, things to make you aware of, a couple of things that are coming up in the life of the church. Uh, on the 25th of August, so in about a month's time, we're having a party, because um, it's our fifth birthday from, for Liberty Church. Uh, we've been here in this city for five years now. We started here, just a few of us meeting in uh, our apartment in Vatakrasmir in the east of the city, uh, and there was just a handful of us. I think pretty much, who, who is here that was, is it just me and you, Michiel? We're the only people left. Everyone else is away. It's not, they haven't all just left us. Um, and by God's grace, we've seen the church grow and flourish, which we're really thankful for. Uh, but what we wanted to do was take a, a, a day just to kind of mark that. I think it's always good to celebrate and be thankful for what God has been doing. So on the 25th of August, uh, please come along. It's just on a, a normal Sunday, uh, the normal time, but we're going to particularly... Uh, uh, kind of celebrate our fifth year of being here in Amsterdam as a church. And as part of that, what we're going to do is we're going to give lots of money away. What better way to have uh, a party than to give away all your cash? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a big offering. We normally do this once or twice a year. We have a gift day where we, we uh, gather lots of money together and we give it away. Um, what we're going to do is we're part of a, a kind of a wider family of churches that uh, very much focused on starting churches just like this in other cities, just like Amsterdam. So we've got a church in, uh, in Berlin, uh, in Ottawa, in Canada, in Brighton and London in the UK. And there's a couple that are moving, I think maybe this week or next week, they're moving to Krakow in Poland. Janusz and Camilla, who have been living in the UK for 10 years, but a Polish couple, they're moving back to Poland to plant a church there. Uh, and we want to help fund and support what they're doing. So on the 20th of August, we're going to take a gift day and give some of the money to them and what they're doing. And also, we're going to keep some of the money for something that we're doing here. Uh, we are launching a, a second service because as you may have noticed, we're growing more and more here in this building, and we're going to start another service in the evening in a different venue here in Amsterdam to reach a whole group of people that we're not reaching at the moment. We're going to start that in September, so if you want any more details about that, please feel free to come and ask me. But as part of our gift day, we're going to be giving money towards that as well. Okay. Let's get into this passage together. Uh, through the summer, we're gonna, uh, we've got four messages where we're going to look at uh, what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll read about in a moment from Galatians 5. So uh, Wilson was talking about this a few weeks ago. Uh, if you weren't here for that, then don't worry at all. Uh, and then I'm doing part two this week, and then Ludo and then Rich Armstrong in a few weeks' time as well will be continuing this series. And what we're going to look at are um, four distinctives of these fruit. There are nine listed uh, in the passage in Galatians. Uh, it's not a definitive list. There's probably many, many more. But there are four things which are kind of make these things really uh, distinctives that they hold, characteristics that they have. The first, which Wilson was talking about, Last time, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit are symmetrical. 
what I mean by that is that uh, you don't, they're not like fruit as in, in a fruit bowl, you'd have a, you know, an apple, an orange, and a banana, and you just kind of pick whichever one you like best. Like, I really love kindness or, or gentleness, so I'll just have that. But this whole kind of you know, self-control thing, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, we think that you might be able to pick and choose whichever fruit that we prefer. But actually, the Bible doesn't call them fruits of the Spirit. It calls them fruit of the Spirit. Uh, they'd be more like a kind of a bunch of grapes, if you think of it that way. Um, so these fruit grow in us symmetrically. They grow in us together. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the fact that these fruit are inevitable, that they're a certain thing that God's doing uh, in our hearts. Um, next week, Ludo's going to be talking about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit are internal, something God does within us in our hearts. And then finally, uh, we'll be looking at the fact that these are a gradual thing that kind of grow in us little by little. And it's important for us to realize right at the start that these fruit are, they're not human characteristics. They're not things that we can just kind of, if we try a bit harder, we can kind of well up inside of ourselves. They're not even things that are particularly natural to us. Actually, they're, they're Christ-like characteristics. If you read about the life of Jesus uh, in the Bible, um, all of these different fruits that we'll read in a moment, you can think, oh yeah, Jesus is a bit like that. Jesus is loving. He's kind. He's gentle. He has self-control. These are things that actually we are not naturally like, but Jesus is. And by the Holy Spirit, they've been given to us as believers in Jesus, that we can receive them and they can grow in us. And it's not behavior that we can choose or produce or kind of cultivate. Uh, the idea of doing this series isn't that we spake, spend four weeks trying really hard to be more loving, trying to be really hard to be more peaceful. Actually, these are things that the Holy Spirit does within us. It says in John 15, this won't appear on the screen, but it says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we, these things won't grow in us. We need the Holy Spirit's help for all of our lives. So let's read these, uh, this passage together and then I'll pray and then we'll get into this a little bit more. So Galatians 5, 22 to 25 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. God, we just pray as we look at this passage together today. God, we, uh, more than anything else, whenever we gather together, we want to come and meet with you. We thank you, that's our privilege, that's our joy, that's our delight for those of us who are believers in you, is that we get to know you. We get to have a relationship with you as sons and daughters before our Father. And we thank you that you've given us many gifts, 
You've poured out your grace on us. You've poured out your Holy Spirit into our hearts. And as part of that, you're growing these fruit within us. And we thank you so much that the Christian message isn't just to try harder, try harder, try harder, but is to come and receive from you again. So we pray this morning, would we receive from you? Would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our hearts, ministering the grace of God to each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess you could say that there, there aren't many things in life that are inevitable, that are, that are certain. You know, will Ajax win the Dutch championship this, this year? Well, next year by the time the season finishes. Probably, but we don't know for certain. Will Brexit happen? I have no idea. <laughs> There's so, much in, so many things in life uh, are promised to us as certain. If you do this, then you will get this result. If you go on this university course, then this is what your life will look like. If you get into this relationship, this, these are all the benefits that you're going to get out of it. All the time, the world around us promises us certain things, promises us certainties. If you do X, you will receive Y. And we do the same. It's not just the world around us. We make promises to ourselves. If I do this, that means this is going to be better for me. Or if I stop doing this, then this is going to happen. All the time, we, we, we present to our own hearts certainties, inevitable outcomes. If we do this, this is going to happen. But the reality is, I'm sure as you've experienced in your life, there aren't many things that are certain, that life doesn't always pan out as we expect it to, even when it comes to our own uh, character formation, how we want to grow, how we want to become more like Jesus, or if you're not a Christian now, you might want to just become a better person. It doesn't always grow in the way that we would expect it to. I don't know about, about you, but I'm sure in my own head, I often have a kind of a picture of my future self. In the future, I'm going to be like this. These are all the wonderful characteristics, qualities I'm going to have. And all the time we project this kind of future version of ourself. And then obviously when we get there, we realize perhaps um, we've not achieved quite what we expected to. Or we have achieved it, but it wasn't quite the outcome we thought it was going to be. There aren't many things in life that are certain. I think it was, was it Benjamin Franklin who said the only things in life that are certain are death and taxes. Well, those two things are pretty certain, but so much else in life isn't certain at all. It's not inevitable. But the grace of God for us, his kindness for us, his goodness, his love, his forgiveness for those of us who are followers of him, that is inevitable. It is certain. It's certain that the, what God has started in your life, he will finish He'll complete it. There was an English sailor captain who lived a couple of hundred years ago, Sir Francis Drake, and he said, it is not the beginning, but the, the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished that yields the true glory. What he's saying is it's not, he was a sailor, he understood about voyages, getting on a boat and going on a journey. And the point he was making is the voyage isn't completed by starting. <laughs> So often in life, we start things all the time, new adventures, new ideas, new relationships. We're very good at starting things, 
But there's no glory in just beginning something. The true glory is in the completing of something. You know, if you're a sailor, if you don't get back, you're dead. That's it, game over. The, the, the glory, the satisfaction, the conclusion is when you've completed. And the work of God is exactly the same. God isn't just a beginner. He doesn't just come to you and start something. He completes his work in you. It says in Philippians 1, verse 6, I'm sure of this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. I'm sure of this. He's convinced of it. He's certain of it. That he who began a good, good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to a completion. He'll finish what he's started. So often we go through life feeling let down when people say they're going to do something for us and then they don't. Or they do half a job. You know, I'm a parent. This is what 50% of my life looks like. And me asking my kids to, to, well, I've got four daughters, so it's normally like brush your hair. And they go, and that's it. And I don't really know much about hair brushing, but I know when you've got lots of hair, it needs more than just one stroke with a brush. So often in life, people let us down because they say they're going to finish something for us. I'll do this for you, but they never quite complete it. Yet with God, he will finish what he's begun. It says in Romans 8, verse 20, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He foreknew you. He knew what you were going to be like. He knew what your life was going to look like. And yet, he's still predestined. He chose you. Knowing how your life was going to turn out, he still chose you. And he'll complete what he started within you. And he chose you to be conformed to the image of his son. That means he chose you so that little by little, he could change you bit by bit to become more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you, whether you're aware of it or not. He's at work in you to make you more like him. And that means as believers, we can have a, a total assurance in the inevitable, certain grace of God. We can have a complete assurance that what he started in us, he will finish in us. And you can read lots of verses in the Bible that first of all, they, they, they promise that. There's lots of promises associated with that, promises that God will complete what he's begun. But not only promises, he, he gives us the power. There's a power in his death and resurrection. There's a power that's come to us now. There's a power to lead us in his ways, there's a power to complete what he has started. And sometimes that might be, that might be all you have, in that sometimes you might think, well, there's not really much evidence in my life of the inevitability, the certainty of God's work, because you know, I don't really feel like I'm doing very well. As a Christian, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm meeting the mark, I, I feel like I'm I'm letting myself down, I'm letting other people's down, I'm, I'm letting God down. 
And yet, even in those moments, even in the darkest seasons of your life, maybe when you've hit rock bottom and you think, I've just made a catastrophic mess of this, you can still hold on to this assurance, this total, certain assurance that what God has started in you, he'll complete in you, that his grace can't be stopped. I think it's important to delve into that a little bit more because often, I guess we feel a bit like uh, we have a kind of a shriveled fruit in our life. Rather than grapes, we feel like we have raisins. <laughs> you know, on a, on a hot week like this, uh, in our garden, we've got some fruit growing, and it's not looking very good, to be honest. I'm not, very, I'm not a very good gardener, and there are things that you're supposed to do, like put water on stuff, which evidently I haven't done. And everything in our garden looks a bit kind of yellow and a bit limp, and in a few cases, a bit crisp. And I don't know much about fruit, but fruit, when fruit goes crispy, that's not a good sign, is it? No. But often we can feel like what's going on in us inside our hearts is a bit shriveled, as a bit kind of raisin-like, or even worse, has gone a bit crispy. Because often our life can feel a little bit like a kind of a stop-start. Our walk with God can feel like when we take two steps forward and then seven steps back, it feels all the time like we're in a kind of a, a process that doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. There's, I don't know if you, uh, if you know uh, by the, uh, the Amstel River, if you cross over the other side of the Amstel River, going towards the Amstel Station, they've, they've remodeled the area around the station there. There's a new roundabout and a new kind of bus terminal and all those sort of things. And there's a set of traffic lights they've put in to cross that road, which are a real pain because there's three sets of lights, but they, they work completely independently. So you'll be standing at the first one on your, well, not standing, you'll be on your bike ready to go, and the first one will be red, and the two behind are green. And you think, and nothing's coming, and you think, do I just skip the red light? Because they're green over there, but you patiently wait, and then suddenly goes green, and you speed across, and then the other two then go red. And you oh no! And then you're stuck there, and then the, the far one goes green again, but you're still red, and again, there's nothing coming, so you go for it, and then the bus comes, you know, and you have to kind of not die, and then suddenly, eventually, you get across the road. And often, our Christian life can feel a little bit like that. It feels a bit stop-start, and we can see where we're trying to get to. We can see the conclusion in sight, but yet it feels like there are lots of barriers, lots of things in our way. Lots of moments where we trip up and stumble and we almost get hit by the bus. There's lots of moments where it doesn't feel like it's working out. And we're going to talk about it in a few weeks' time, but it's important to realize that although the work of God in us is certain and inevitable, it's a gradual thing. It's a, it's a process. It's not a pronouncement. It's something that God has started and will complete, but is now doing that this inevitable work, it's not that when you become a Christian, you suddenly become perfect, and you become the most loving, the most joyful, the most peaceful, the most patient, the most gentle, the most kind, the most self-controlled person. That doesn't happen, does it, when you become a Christian? You bring all your faults and failures into your life with God with you, but yet you know his total forgiveness that he looks on you and sees you as this holy, 
person washed clean, made perfect by his death for you. And yet we still carry the same weaknesses within us. But little by little, God works. Perhaps a helpful illustration to help you understand this is if, if you put a, a, an acorn into the ground, if you put it, it's a tiny little thing, if you put it into the ground, um, and then, you know, you could probably even put like a concrete path on top of it, and that might seem uh, game over. But I don't know if you've ever walked down the street and you've seen a huge big oak tree cracking through the concrete of the pavement. You know, and you see how they kind of disfigure the psychopaths and the roads. And it's all like a, the road needs to be resurfaced every couple of years because the tree just keeps growing bigger and bigger and is disrupting what's going on around it. That's how the grace of God works in your life. You don't necessarily see it happening moment by moment. But if you're to look back, you suddenly see this oak tree that's grown. And all the barriers that have been put in the way, that God's grace just pushes through all of those things that his inevitable work, as we read in that passage in 1 Philippians, he began it and he will bring it to completion. You see, because it's not that God comes and brings you this perfection, it's, a, it's an infection. The Holy Spirit comes and infects you, almost like a virus, and it begins to slowly change you transform you little by little and there are moments there are times there are seasons in your life when God will just press fast forward on your life and things will suddenly change you'll suddenly find that you are able to find a joy in circumstances where previously that you you didn't you suddenly find that you don't suffer from the same fear and anxiety but you're able to carry yourself with a peace because suddenly God has just shifted you, he's changed you, and he'll use circumstances to use that, he'll use people to do that. His grace will be at work in you to change you. And often as believers, it's, it's helpful for us to realize that what we need to do is bring our lives back to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done, and not what we see in other people around us. Because often we'll see other people who are either, they seem, they seem happy all the time. They seem at peace with the world. They seem at ease. Why aren't I like that? Or perhaps the reverse. You'll feel happy and contented and you'll see Christians who are struggling and who seem weak. And you'll think, well, what's wrong with them? Surely we've all got God with us. But God's work isn't a uniform thing. It works in different ways in different people. A few of us were out earlier this week playing frisbee in the, in the Vaughan Park here. And uh, we were just having a very relaxed game of ultimate frisbee, which anyone ever played ultimate frisbee? Surprisingly tiring. And uh, we were just playing, we played for about an hour, and by, after about five minutes I was exhausted, but we managed to continue for an hour. And then these three people came and said, oh, can we, we notice you've got uneven teams, can we come and join with you? And we said, oh yeah, great. We need some more people, so they came and played. But only, only a few minutes later did they tell us that, that two of them were, were semi-professional ultimate Frisbee players. <laughs> One of them played for the Dutch national team. I didn't know there was a Dutch national team of ultimate Frisbee, but she was very good. You know, she, it didn't matter how badly you threw the Frisbee at her, she would catch it. 
And she wasn't even that tall. She was quite a small lady, but she could just catch anything. You know, we look over here, catch Frisbee over there. And every time she threw it, it would just go straight to you. <laughs> she was very talented. And I suddenly was aware of my own ultimate Frisbee shortcomings. That I wasn't quite at the same level by any stretch. And often in our Christian life, we can live a little bit the same. We can spend our time comparing our, our, ourselves to other people. And that can be a, a, a weighty thing, an uncomfortable thing, all the time, thinking, oh, they're doing better than me, and oh, they seem to be so much happier than I am. And, or even you can, you can get jealous, and you can think, why, why has God blessed them like that? Why is their life seem, why do they never have any problems? They never seem to be any, in any debt. They never seem to have any issues in their life. All their relationships seem happy. That's unfair. And I think it's important for us as believers not to spend our lives comparing ourselves with other people, but coming to Jesus and saying, oh, I just want more of you, rather than fixing our eyes on ourselves or on others, but to fix our eyes on him, because he's the one that brings the growth and the fruit. I guess you might feel a little bit like perhaps, maybe this all seems a little bit irrelevant to you because you think, well, the, the, the reality is I kind of feel like I've just, I've given up. You know, I've, I've tried this Christianity thing and maybe you feel a bit like I'm not really sure it's made much of a difference to my life. Or you just feel like, oh, the world around me just seems better and happier. Maybe you've just given up on following Jesus. And you think, well, how can this, how can his work, how can this fruit be inevitable if I've just given up? It says in Romans 11, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. That means when God calls you, that's it. He can't uncall you. It's an irrevocable thing. What God has started in you, he will complete. And there can, be, there can be seasons of your life, even sometimes long seasons, maybe even when you feel like you just walk away from God, you walk away from the church, you don't want to pray, you don't want to open your Bible, you don't have anything to do with God. You just say, I've, I've had enough, I've given up. The wonderful thing is that God doesn't give up on you. It's the truth that maybe some of you need to hear this morning. He's not forgotten about you. You might be ignoring him, but he's definitely not ignoring you. His work in you is an inevitable thing. If he has genuinely started a work in you, he will complete it. He will finish what he's started. God, he doesn't, he doesn't regret his promises. He doesn't. We make promises all the time and then we regret them because we realize, oh, I promised this, but I can't live up to that. God isn't like that. He doesn't regret his promises. He keeps his promises. You may give up, but God, God doesn't. So finally, let's just focus in a little bit more on whose fruit is this? Because this might seem a bit confusing to you. Uh, first of all, it's important to realize these are, these are God's fruit, and yet he calls us to still put into action some things in our life. 
So we've read in, uh, in, in Galatians 5, at the end of Galatians 5, verse 25, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. There's a walk, there's a journey that we're to walk, to go on. There's some things that we need to put into action in our, in our life. We had read a few times from that verse in Philippians that what he began, he will complete. Well, just a few verses later, Paul then prays for them. And he says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And again, it sounds a little bit like there's something that we need to do. You know, whose fruit is this? Is this God's? Is this something that he's just given us? Or is this something that we're to grow within ourselves? Is the work of God in us, is it something that was begun by the Spirit, but to be completed by us? No. God's at work. We're to both, at the same time, we're to keep in step with the Spirit, but we're also, it says elsewhere in Galatians 5, we're led by the Spirit. It's like a parent grabbing hold of their child and holding them by the hand and helping them to cross the road. And who's walked across the road? Well, the child has walked across the road, but the parent has got a firm grip on them, has led them. I think that's how it works with us. Most of the time, we don't see God at work, but all the time, he's leaning us. He's got a grip on you. He's helping you through those challenges, through those moments, through those seasons in your life. He's there. He's at work. On one hand, you might say that the Christian life is a a long obedience in the same direction, which it is, but at the same time, that's 100% the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Any unction you have, any desire that springs up within you to do anything for the Christ is him already at work, calling you, leading you, guiding you. And that means that we get to both be ourselves. Sometimes the the call of Christianity can seem a bit terrifying because it seems like we're saying to you, be a Christian, you've got to change and be this perfect person. No, as a, as a Christian, you get to be yourself. You get to be yourself. But at the same time, the most important thing is being our true self. Being what Christ has called you and chosen you to be. Being what he's decided, what he's working for you to be. So it's God's fruit that's at work. And also, it's also the fruit of the church in the context, Wilson was talking about this a few weeks ago, the context here that Paul is writing to in the church in Galatia, he's writing to a people. I don't know how big the church was, but it's a bit like writing to us. And he's saying to us, this fruit, we apply it very individualistically. We say, oh, this fruit is for me that God's going to do in me. It's actually fruit that he's going to do in a community. He's going to grow them. He'll grow us together in this fruit. And that means that as a believer, 
you need to get good at letting other people into your life. Because often we take this fruit and we keep it to ourselves. You know, it's a bit like, again, to use a gardening reference. Now, if you are a gardener, bear with me, because as I said, I'm not very good at it, but if you take a, a, a tree, something that's supposed to flourish and grow, and you put it in a tiny plant pot, it will constrict it or restrict it. It will never quite become what it's supposed to be if you don't put it into the right space. And the work of God within you, you need to bring it into the life of the community. Because there are, there are weeds, there are things in your heart. It talks about in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. There's old ways of doing things that will try and strangle what God's doing. Like weeds in the garden that, that will come around the good plants and try and bring them down. And so often our, our response is we see these things in our life that aren't good and we, we, we often do two things. We either cover them up, we, we just hide them. If you've got weeds growing in your garden and you just throw a bit of dirt over the top, they'll, they'll spring back up again. Might take a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but they'll reappear unless you get down and pull the root out. If you just cover them up, it doesn't work. Or the other thing we do is we tend to just mow over. We just, we see what's visible on the surface and we get rid of that. But again, if you don't get to the root of the problem, then the issue in your life will just spring back up again. And you need people around you to help you, to serve you, to bless you, to love you. We need to, this fruit that God will grow in us, he gives us the responsibility to, to water, to prune, to kind of garden our hearts, to care for what God's doing within us. And oftentimes, he'll use other people to help that process to happen. And as part of that, we need to let other people into our lives, but when we're seeing other people, as I said earlier, God's work in us isn't a uniform thing. His sanctification, by mean, by, I mean his making us more like Jesus, happens in different stages, in different ways, in different people. And we should be careful not to judge people. A friend of mine said, he has a catchphrase he uses, which is really helpful. He says, grace thinks the best of people. I think if you apply that to your life, Joe and I say that to each other all the time. If we're hitting up a, a difficulty with someone and we're feeling a bit frustrated, we'll just gently remind each other, grace thinks the best of people. We're so cynical in our age, aren't we? We're trained to be critical, to analyze, to always be trying to judge people's motives. Why did they say that? Why did they do that? But yet, grace is not naive. It's not that we just ignore blind spots in people's lives, but as much as possible, grace thinks the best of people. Finally, it's God's fruit, it's the church's fruit, but it's also, it's also your fruit. There's a, there's a wonderful spiritual harvest that God's given you. As I mentioned earlier, we've got some fruit growing in our garden, but the wonderful thing is, is that I didn't plant it. We only moved into that house 
six months ago at the start of this year. And it was only when spring came that all these kind of small, I don't know, I just thought they were weeds that were in the garden that had kind of not really done much over winter. Spring came and they all sprung into life. I was like, oh, that thing over there is making raspberries. Wow, where did they come from? Well, that thing over there is making strawberries. Oh, that thing, that's a rosemary plant. Oh, great. And we've got all these things in our garden that the previous owners had planted that now as spring came, have sprung into life. And we've been able to just enjoy the blessings of that. And that's what God's done within you. He's put this spiritual harvest in you. And it's growing and you get to enjoy the blessings of what God's done in your life. It says in Psalm 1, verse 3, it's ta- Psalm 1 talks about uh, someone who's righteous. That's what that psalm is about. He said that someone who's righteous is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's really our responsibility when it comes to this fruit, is God will grow it, but plant yourself in him. Put your roots down into his grace, into his love. And then what he's planted in you will flourish, will grow into life. We get to garden what he's done. And a really practical way, a really good way to do that is to be grateful to be thankful. I heard someone say recently that the, the keynote, you know what a keynote is? Either the kind of the main point of a talk, or I think in music, the keynote is the kind of the main um, chord or whatever that holds the melody and the harmony together, the keynote, the main thing that comes out. The keynote of sanctification is gratitude. So in your walk with God, the, the note that you should sing most often is one of gratitude, one of thankfulness. Because so often the, the kind of keynote that defines our life or defines even your walk with God might be anxiety or worry or ambition. You feel like with Jesus you need to keep performing, you need to keep achieving something. Or you're worried, you're anxious that you're not quite doing enough. But if that's how you feel, then perhaps you've misunderstood his grace. It's a free gift that he's given you. And that means the note we get to sing is one of just thankfulness. We'll take our eyes off of ourselves and we say, oh, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your grace. When that becomes the kind of keynote of your life, you'll find you'll begin to grow that there's other things that will, those weeds that will try and pull you down. It's a good way to see them pulled out and shriveled and to die, is to keep lifting your hearts in gratitude to him. Finally, don't lose heart. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I think that's perhaps, for many of you, the main thing you need to hear this morning is don't lose heart. What God's started in you, it's an inevitable work. 
I don't mean by that that one day when you're you know, 99 or 70, however long you live, that you'll gradually reach a state of perfection and then you die. <laughs> it's completed in eternity with him. That's when we find the full perfection of God's work in our life. But there's a journey that he's leading you on, even now, even in this life, where little by little, through the ups and downs of life, through the painful seasons as well as the happy times, he's at work within you. It's an inevitable thing that he's doing. Let me finish with a quote from John Owen, who I used this a few weeks ago, and I just will keep using it because it's brilliant. He's talking about Jesus. He says he knew what we were and what we could do and what would be our dealings with him. He knew that we would grieve him and provoke him, that we would quench his motions, defile his dwelling place, and yet he would come to be our comforter. As I said earlier, Jesus is, he foreknew you before God made Jupiter, he chose you. Isn't that amazing? That's true. God chose you before the beginning of the world. He picked you out, and at that moment, he knew how you were going to end up. And yet, he still sent his Holy Spirit into your life. He still loves you the same. His grace for you is as fresh today as it's ever been. So don't lose heart. He's at work within you. Let me pray, and then we can respond in worship to God and share communion together. Jesus, I just, I thank you so much for your just astonishing grace. Each one of us can tell a story that perhaps we wouldn't want anybody else to hear of the mistakes we've made, of the regrets we have. So often your work within us feels just shriveled and dead, or, or at least slow. And yet we thank you, we can cling on to your inevitable, certain grace for us. That you've promised that what you've begun in us, you'll finish. It doesn't mean we just take our hands off the wheel and say, oh, well, I don't have to do anything. We want to throw ourselves into your purposes, but not to try and win any favor, not to sort of earn your delight in us, because we have as much of your delight now as we could ever need. Thank you, God, that's so true, that you're just eternally happy with us now because of what Jesus has done for us that you're just eternally delighted with us because of the work of Christ. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would just penetrate that truth into our hearts, just for everybody here in this room, no matter how far they feel from you, that they would know that you've not let go of them, that your gifts, your calling are, are irrevocable, as in they can't be taken away that what you've started in each one of us, you will finish. That your grace for us is assured, it's certain. And we just wanna respond in worship now.
with hearts of gratitude and praise and say, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Amen.